Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Daniel chapter number two, and we'll start with verse number five. The Bible says, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made a dunghill. That's pretty severe. But if ye shew the dream and the interpretation thereof, Ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, shew me the dream and the interpretation there. Now, now for all those that are already behind the eighth ball, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is asking those of his region and realm, instead of just telling him, interpret what I dreamed, he's telling them, tell me what I dreamed, and then interpret it. That'd be interesting. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream." Now, this is how they're answering. Hey, tell us the dream, and we will shew the interpretation of it. The king answered and said, I know of certainty that you would gain the time because you see the thing has gone from me. In other words, I don't, I don't, I don't, this dream's gone from me. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you, for ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream." And I shall know that ye can shew me the interpretation thereof. So the next few moments tonight, my subject matter here, Daniel part three, that I'm calling it, is a forgotten dream. All right? A forgotten dream. Can we bow our heads and pray? Father, Lord, we come to you this evening. I'm asking, O oh Lord, you would enlighten our minds. Bring all things, Lord, to my mind's remembrance. God, mark any air, Lord, from my mind and my lips. I pray, oh Lord, help your people, God, to understand. God, as we walk, Lord, through these scriptures tonight, help us, Lord, to glean, God, some understanding. God, that you're able to help us, Lord, in this journey, Lord, the prophetic, Lord, books, Lord, of Daniel and Revelation. I know, Lord, that you're able to aid us and help us, help us to stay connected, Lord Jesus, to your word in this. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you, Jesus, for what you do and accomplish, Lord, in this place tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody say amen. Amen, you may be seated. Has everybody been doing okay so far through these first uh, few parts of the book of Daniel? And uh, the prophetic books that we see, it's historical and also uh, prophetic. And again, when are we, uh, and I'm not going to go back and review a lot of last week, or I can't do that every week. Whew. I just, I, the weeks that's necessary to do it, I'll do it. But uh, when we consider this thing, you know, prophecy, you know, prophecy is not just confined uh, to the book of Daniel or to the book of Revelation. Uh, we understand in Scripture that uh, there are things that are spoken of the major and the minor prophets, and so those, for the most part, are prophetical. And uh, just as a side note, uh, major prophets doesn't mean that they're more important than the minor prophets, uh, just that the minor prophets, their books are smaller. And so thus the major and the minor prophets. But uh, we understand that there, there's this Daniel and this revelation. Those are for sure prophetic. But this idea of prophecy or the concept of prophecy really arrived on the scene of the world way, way back. Everybody say way back. Way back. Way back. Way back. In so much 
that uh, Jude, and I know this is like down, you know, the lane, but it refers to a time way back. Jude chapter number 1 and verse number 14. Uh, Sister McGee, if you could get there for me. The Bible says, and Enoch also the seventh from Adam. Now, this is the Enoch that walked with God and was not. The Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. Now, you under, so prophecy is not a new concept here. Here in Jude, the Bible speaking of Enoch, the seventh from Adam prophesied of a time when the Lord would come with 10,000 of his saints. Enoch, at the very beginning, was prophesying all the way to the time of the very end. The Bible speaks in the book of Revelation 5-7, just for a, a note of yours, 5-7, that the Lord speaks of those that were numbered with him that was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So here's Enoch 7 removed from Adam, and he and his day, all the way back at the beginning, predating Moses and Noah and Abraham, is prophesying of the end time that's going to take place. Now that's pretty awesome. I don't know about anything else. He says in verse 15, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed. I don't know if you see the theme of ungodly here. <laughs> and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So here is the early, uh, at least what we have record of, what I can find record of, the earliest of prophecies reaching all the way back uh, to the time of the beginning to the time of the end. And that is just simply amazing. And so similarly now, in the book of Daniel, chapter number two, uh, it has been called all times the foundational prophetic chapter of the book of Daniel. Not only that, it is the prophetical uh, foundational chapter for the Bible and for our human history uh, for the time past and for the time future. And so most of the chapter of chapter number two of the book of Daniel is, is we look back on this particular chapter and we say, well, this is a historical chapter. This is talking about some of the kingdoms and the empires that uh, ruled upon the earth. Amen. And there's just a few portions really that are prophetic, but for Daniel, when it was written, when it was actually given during his time, most, if not all, that he spoke about when he spoke about it was prophetic. None of those things had really happened except for where he was at in Babylon under a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar and that king being uh, the head of the image that he will see. He spoke of that as the present, but everything else for Daniel and those that were around him was prophetic. Now, we have the good grace that, well, we're further down in the life. We look back on it and says, man, that's history. But not when it was written, not when it was given. It was prophetic. Amen. Nobody knew what was going to take place or unfold and happen. But Daniel spoke, amen, everything just as God had delivered it to him. And it came about as we look backward now, just like the Lord had given it unto Daniel. So, as we said in the beginning of this study, man, that encourages our hearts concerning God's word and God's book. That from a point in time where Daniel, it was prophecy, we look back and say, that prophecy is now history. It's just as he said it was. And so, God stays very true then to his word. He does not lie. Amen. And so, uh, throughout this study of Daniel, and I know we've been in it just a few weeks, but we still got several more weeks to go. But throughout this book of Daniel, there's times when we'll see certain terms 
or words or phrases that will rise in our study that we need to pay attention to because those words or phrases or terms are going to continue to be used throughout the book of Daniel at other places in the Bible of prophetic scriptures and usually in the book of Revelation that we'll eventually get to somewhere in years to come. Amen. And so they're going to be further developed. For instance, if I can give you a for instance, uh, in our previous study, some that we've already done, uh, we viewed how one item Daniel and his friends were subjected to. You remember one of the things that they were subjected to where they went to Babylon and the Babylonian environment was that their names had been changed. So here is a, here is a, a, a Jew or a Hebrew that's being subjected to a different system, not of his own, in Babylon, and he's being subjected to a name change. I like uh, Brother Emil Walls, who's right here with the, in the state of Indiana, and he stated this, and it was just quite profound. He says, one of the main components of the system which will be offered by the beast in the last days will be that people accept his name or his mark or the number of his name. And so it'll be a time in the last day that people will be in, once again, tried to be subjected to another name. So you see then a little bit of a parallel that's being set up. Daniel and his friends were subjected to a name change, and in the last days, there is going to be one that would arise and want to push their name or their number or their mark upon the people and be swallowed up into the system, if you will, of the beast of the book of Revelation. And if you do not, you suffer persecution, ultimately death. Well, in this particular chapter, chapter 2 of Daniel, uh, we, we in, were introduced to an image that King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about, amen, which virtually, this image that he dreamed about, we're not getting too deep into this, but was virtually a system that was put in motion. If you'll remember when we talked about Genesis 10 and Genesis 11, the first kingdom that ever arose, which was the kingdom of Nimrod, which was the kingdom of Babel. Well, this, this image that he sees basically virtually represents that, that kingdom of Babel from the first kingdom. It's just renewed and revived under a new Babylonian empire. But with that being said, we're introduced to this term image. Introduced to a term image. An image that represents a system that is against God. Kingdoms that are against God. They're comprised of different metals, as we'll see. It's just a sequence of kingdoms, amen. Uh, but it is a system that is against God, this image. Well, later, we'll see in chapter 3, when we get to chapter 3, it seems like Nebuchadnezzar seems to accept this dream and what it stands for and everything, but somewhere along the way, that's all kind of forgotten. And so Nebuchadnezzar rejects, if you will, the divine revelation that was given to him to Daniel about his dream and interpretation. And now he sets up his own what? Image. Remember the image that Nebuchadnezzar set up? He sets up his own image. And rather being of various metals, it's entirely of gold. Which Nebuchadnezzar in the vision, Nebuchadnezzar in his kingdom was the head, which was a pure gold. Scripture basically says and literally says, really, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head. And so Nebuchadnezzar, not wanting to see the passing of his kingdom, says, I'll make a statue. I'll make the whole thing gold. That means that's me. You know, this is my kingdom. It stands firm. It's complete. Here it is. And so that did nothing more but to reveal some of the pride, amen, that 
uh, Nebuchadnezzar had. But remember, that image that never, the image again, the image that Nebuchadnezzar built that's a pure gold, Daniel and his friends did not what? They did not worship. And they did not bow down to it. And so we're seeing a little development of this image thing. Here is the image in this day and time of Daniel that they would not worship and they would not bow down to. Now, to reveal the horrid rebellion of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter number 4, Nebuchadnezzar is judged, of course, for what he did in, in Daniel chapter number 3. And what happens, the Spirit of the Lord, amen, he is given, Nebuchadnezzar is the heart of a beast. Image, beast, the heart of a beast because of the pride that he had of his kingdom and of his way. Now, that's great and wonderful. I'm just setting a little platform here how there's terms that we need to pay attention to. It's later in the book of Daniel, Daniel 7 and Daniel 8, that Daniel receives some revelation and visions concerning the same sequence of kingdoms that we'll come to learn of in Daniel chapter number 2. But God, in the perspective that he gives Daniel, reveals those kingdoms as some very uh, tenacious beasts. All of them are beasts. Every single one of them is some animal of prey. Amen. And so the final beast that is even spoken of in Daniel 7 is spoken of being exceeding dreadful. And so we're, there, this, there's this image. There's this image and they don't worship. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's heart's turned to the heart of a beast. There's these beasts that represent these kingdoms now. Now we can just for a moment, just real quickly, fast forward all the way to the book of Revelation. And John receives a revelation concerning a final what? Beast. A final spoken of image, which is the Antichrist. And an image is erected to honor the beast, which all men once again must worship. And if they don't worship, they must die. And so we start to see connections then between Daniel and Revelation. An image is already born the mind here in chapter number 2. And that is because that system, that idea and concept is going to tarry all the way until the end of the world. All right? So we see the development of it. And for one, one matter, remember, we've touched on this here and there at different times, whether it be through preaching or teaching. Israel's major problem in serving the Lord was always having problems with serving other gods. Images. Mm-hmm. They always reverted, you know, if they had their besetting sin, Bishop, it was reverting back to serving other gods, worshiping images. So imagine, they had a lot of this problem prior to captivity. And as we said through the study, God says, you like that so much? We'll send you to the land that you could just do that all the time, hoping that they would get tired of it. And do you know that after the Israelites came out of captivity, we cannot necessarily see anything in history where they as a nation reverted to worshiping idols or images ever again. And you know something else God was doing then for the nation of Israel, teaching them a lesson now so that they would have it down pat when it really mattered at the end of the world when there will be a beast or image that will be vying for worship and attention. Because if they don't get it down now, they'll be susceptible to worshiping the beast in the book of Revelation. You understand what I'm saying here tonight? 
And so what was a big pit for them? He says, we got to get this straightened out of them so because they, they, can, they can waver a little bit now. But in that, in that day, there is no room for wavering. You either accept it or you reject it, and eternity is based upon either. Amen. And so what I like to say then here this evening, not just for them, but that for Israel, but even for us as the church, we, we need to, and this is why I say, if you do not pinpoint who your God is now, you will be susceptible to adopting anything that is God-like later. So for Israel, great. For the church, Brother Zach McGee, we also need to decide who God is in our life now or we'll be susceptible in the day, the last day, and we're living in some of those last days, we'll be susceptible to worshiping an image or a God-like because he will be able to do miracles. Scripture bears it out. He'll be able to do some similar things that God could do, but we got to pinpoint who our God is now so that we're not sucked in the vacuum and deceived into following or worshiping the beast that is to come or the image that is staged to come. Now, here's the deal. Man, God is in control. Everybody say God's in control. God is in control. And God, if there's ever someone that knows how to set you up or set a stage, God knows how to do it. God is a good marketer. Uh, he, he runs good PR, public relations. He's got it down pat. He is a good marketer. He could have, now just think with me for a moment, God could have given the dream to Daniel. Could have gave it to Daniel alone. Given it to Daniel. But instead of giving it to Daniel, he gave it to King Nebuchadnezzar, a Gentile king, not a Jew, a Gentile king, but a man who had notable power, notable prestige of his day. Now consider, if it was just given to Daniel, the impact of the dream, the impact of the interpretation may have been somewhat less. Knowledge of it might not have spread as much as it did spread if it had been given to Daniel. But God is the master marketer. He knew how to get the word out best. He knew how to cause the ripples of the water to go out the furthest. And so he gave it to the king. Amen. And he knew when he gave it to the king that the king was going to share it with his kingdom. He was going to have to share it with his wise people and his high officials. He was going to turn the kingdom upside down and inside out in order to uh, remember this dream that he had forgotten. Amen. He put great emphasis on this need. This, this dream needs to be interpreted. And he wasn't seeming, it didn't look like he was going to stop until he found somebody that could do this. But by virtue of that, there's a lot of people then that gaining knowledge about the dream. Well, at least whenever it's told. About the need for the interpretation of a dream that the king has forgotten. There's a lot of, so, you know, it's hit all the major newspapers, all right? It's terms we think of. It's hit the radio stations and the newscasts, although they didn't exist. I'm just trying to get on a level we understand. Everybody knows about this. So it goes a whole lot further than what it may have went if it were just given to Daniel. So God was up to something. God was up to something. Nebuchadnezzar had power. He had power. But we might understand whether they're a heathen king or what we call a godly king, a good king, bad king, ugly king, <laughs> whatever you want to call them. The power that all authorities have comes from God. Presidents, they have power. That power came from God. 
kings, prime ministers, the devil, all have power to a certain degree. But the origin of that power comes from God. Now listen to me. A president, a king, a prime minister, whoever it may be, with the power, the degree of power that God has given to them, they may use that power positively. They have free will of choice. Or they may use that power negatively. But God is in control. In so much that God has the ability of a king that uses his power negatively, God has the ability of taking that and still using it to work for his good. Romans 8.28 tells us about that. Whenever we consider Joseph's brothers, the Bible says meant it for his bad. But God used it for the good of the people. So here they, they kind of uh, misused their power, but God was still able to use their misuse of power and use it for his good. So King Nebuchadnezzar, yes, he had power, but that power was still given him by God. And although he might have been a ruthless Gentile king, God could still take however he used his power and use it for God's benefit. Amen. And just as a side note, President Obama is no different. He is no different. The Bible says in Jeremiah 27 and verse number 4, this is a prophecy concerning Nebuchadnezzar, and command them to say unto their masters, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Thus shall ye say unto your masters. He says, I have made the earth, the man and the beasts that are upon the ground, by my great power and by my outstretched arm. Look now, and have given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. And now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Note the next phrase. My servant. He's a man of prestige and power. He's ruling a big empire and nation. But at his base, he's a pawn in the hand of God. Amen. And the beasts of the field have I given him also to serve. And all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the very time of his land come. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of the Babylon, that nation will I punish. And that came about, saith the Lord, with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence until I have consumed them by his hands. So God says, man, I have all this power, but I, I, I give portions of this to whomever I see fit to give it to because whenever it all comes down to it, they are my Servants, And although they might do some things that are contradictory to who I am, I can still take that and use it for my good and for my benefit. Now let's talk about a little bit about this forgotten dream. In verse number one, the Bible mentions that the king Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, plural. But then in verse three, it says that he dreamed a dream, singular. <clears throat> As though he dreamed one dream over and over and over throughout the night. No wonder he couldn't sleep. Have you ever dreamed the same dream several times? You're like, man, can we just kind of cut this one off and start a new one? You know, it kinda, I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Amen. And this, this, the king then had this dream, and it seemed, the Bible says, to escape him. In verse number five, he said, the thing is gone from me. This dream is gone from me. 
Now, I know, undoubtedly, there's some sitting among here that you know you dreamed, you know, last night, but you just can't remember what you dreamed. I've had my wife tell me that, man, and you're just like, you're frustrated. Man, I wish I could just remember what that was because maybe it seemed meaningful to you or it was funny or whatever it may have been, but here's King Nebuchadnezzar. He dreamed a dream. He woke up and he's like, man, I wish I could remember that dream. I know there's some significance or it's important. I dreamed it, you know, all night. You know, he said, I've dreamed it all night, but I can't remember one even detail about what it was. And so that was the problem here. So he calls together his magicians, his astrologers, his sorcerers. He calls all these people together because he wanted them to tell him what he dreamed. I'm glad my wife doesn't do that because I... It would never happen. And he wanted them to tell him, this is what you dreamed, king, and this is what the interpretation means. Well, these guys are supposed to be the brightest of the brightest, but I tell you what, they're just about as sharp as a bowling ball because they didn't get it at first. Because they asked then, after he said this, they asked the king, king, tell us what you dreamed. Now, what part of you tell me what I dreamed, what part of that do you not understand? Now, king, you, you tell us what we dreamed, and then we will interpret it. Because, see, the king already said, he said, listen here, guys, if you can tell me the dream and the interpretation of the dream, I'm going to bestow riches on you. I'm going to bestow honor upon you and gifts on you. He says, but if you can't tell me the dream and the interpretation, he said, you're going to die. Now, that's a pretty tall order. And so the king, he began to suspect that if they could tell if he, that if he could tell them the dream, if he could remember it and tell them the dream, that these old uh, astrologers and astronomers were probably going to conjure up some type of interpretation for it, whether they knew it was the right one or not. And the king was certain that if they would tell him the dream, that he took confidence in this. He said, if you can tell me the dream, he said, then I know that you'll have the interpretation. And so whenever they're met with this, he's wanting us to tell him the dream. We've never had, it doesn't seem like we've ever had a request like this before. And to give an interpretation, they began to, of course, pawn it off as an impossibility. King, it is impossible. There's not another king around that's ever asked of any of their servants to tell their king the dream and the interpretation. This has never happened before. For that matter, I don't think it's even quite possible for it being done. And so Nebuchadnezzar's a little, he's a little frustrated over this because he wants to know the dream. He wants to know the interpretation. They can't help him. They're supposed to be the best that he has. He says, well, I'll tell you what then. You guys can't do this? Set the gallows. Get the manslaughter going on. Y'all going to die. I'm going to destroy every wise man in Babylon. But see, there's a little problem with the king making the decree to kill all the wise men in Babylon because Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in that category of being wise men. These Jews that had found favor in the eyes of God was a part of these wise men. And the Bible tells us that Daniel and his friends were found in verse number 13, Sister McGee in particular, thank you. And look what it says. They saw Daniel and his, and his fellows to be slain. In other words, they're seeking them out because they're going to kill them. Nebuchadnezzar says they all die, we're going to kill them. And Daniel, here again, Daniel was a smooth guy. He is wise. 
uh, beyond his years, as the sayings sometimes go. He's very wise. He doesn't begin to rebel and say, you're not killing me. You'll get to these three. You're going to have to come through me. He doesn't start any of that stuff. Daniel just says, hey, 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 hey. Now, let, let's calm down here for a moment. Why has the king made such a hasty decision here? He says, and he goes then. He leaves the captain of the guard. He goes into the presence of the king. And he says, king, he says, if you give me some time, he says, I believe God would show us what you dreamed and the interpretation of your dream. Now, this is quite peculiar because it seems like the other wise men that were in the presence of the king had already asked for some time. The king says, no, if you're asking for time, you're waiting for me to remember the dream. That's just trying, giving you time to come up with some fabrication. But Daniel goes in in the spirit that he has and asks for time and time is granted to him. And the Bible says in verse number 18, the scripture states these words, that they would desire mercies of God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Here is what happened. Daniel says, we got a problem. There's a secret that needs to be revealed. This dream needs to be interpreted. We got a dilemma. I'm going to take it to God. That's always a good place to take your dilemmas. I'm going to, and notice what Daniel does. He shares his dilemma with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He says, I'm not going into the prayer closet by myself. I'm going to tell some friends that I can trust. We're going in this because I know there's power in prayer, and if I can have a few more that's trustworthy to pray with me, maybe God will somehow give us this interpretation. And the Bible says in verse number 8 that he went and he would desire mercies of the God of heaven. There's a couple of things that are important concerning that phrase, the God of heaven. It's interesting, at least to me, on a couple of different levels. Because firstly, this phrase, the God of heaven, is mostly, anytime you see this term, the God of heaven, it's mostly concerning the times that we're talking about right now, the time frame of prophecies in the books where things are being prophesied. They refer to the God of heaven all during the times what's known as the times of the Gentiles when Israel and the Jews were under Gentile reign and rule always this phrase the God of heaven is used for a matter of fact the only other time you see the phrase God of heaven used that it's not involved in a book of prophecy or concerning prophecy is in the book of Genesis the book of beginning amen is the only place that it's also spoken as the God of heaven now listen Normally, normally, up until this time, normally, God would oftentimes be referred to as the God of Israel. The God of Israel. But at this time, Israel as a nation is swallowed up among a Gentile people, among Gentile rulers. And so they refer then to him back to the original state back in Genesis. Why? The God of heaven. Why? Does anybody know what Genesis 1-1 says? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and thus the birth of the phrase in recognition that he is the God of heaven. They don't recognize him as the God of Israel right now because Israel is kind of hidden in a Gentile nation. So he says, we're approaching this God of heaven. But also, second level of interest concerning this phrase, the Babylonians were deeply steeped in worshiping the gods Plural, false fake of the heavens. Daniel says, while you try to worship gods 
of the heavens. He said, I'm going to contact the God of those heavens. <laughs> Amen. So the people of the king's realm, they didn't get anywhere trying the heavens. Daniel says, you got to go a little higher than that. He says, you got to go to the God of the heavens. So Daniel makes some headway whenever he corresponds with the God of the heavens, the creator of the universe. And he takes his secret, his problem with his friends unto the God of the heavens and God gives him an answer in a vision. Amen. And they're thankful. You know, they're thankful that they do not forget to give thanks and praise to God for that. That's, that's a good little pinpoint we need to place in our lives that when God does answer, don't forget to give praise and thanks for the answer. He didn't just get the answer and go trotting off into the king's court. He paused with thanksgiving and gave thanks and praise to his God. And then look at verses 20 through 22. There's an extended list of attributes for God. Amen. That we learn through Daniel here. Verse number 20. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is the dark, what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. So here's some attributes or characteristics of God and God alone. And this is in contrast to the gods that the Babylonians are trying to worship. This is in contrast to that. God, wisdom and might are his. Amen. And that's evident because the wise men couldn't consult their gods and get what Daniel got. His God changes the times and the seasons. His God removes kings and he sets up kings. Well, this is going to be pretty important when we get to the image of Daniel and we're starting to see a changing of the guard, so to speak. His God gives wisdom and knowledge. His God reveals deep things, secret things, his God, listen now, this is important, and it was like a light bulb went off today while I was looking at this. His God knows what is in the darkness. His God knows what is in the darkness. In Job 12, verse 22, Job, when he is speaking about God, Job says, he, speaking of God, God discovereth deep things out of darkness in the new testament of ephesians 5 paul and we studied ephesians not going back to trample that ground all over again but paul is speaking to the gentiles and says for ye gentiles were sometimes darkness ye gentiles were sometimes ye were darkness but now are you in the are you light in the lord walk as children of the light. Now pause here with me for a moment. If Daniel says his God knows what is in the darkness, listen to me. What did God know was in the darkness? What did God know that was in the darkness? And if God discovers deep things out of darkness, like Job said, and yet Paul calls the Gentiles darkness. Someone following with me. He says, ye were sometimes darkness. I asked the question, what was the deep thing discovered out of the Gentiles, or if you will, darkness? Because ye Gentiles were sometimes darkness. He calls Gentiles darkness. 
So I'm asking, what was the deep thing discovered out of the Gentiles? You, you understand, I'm kind of like A plus B equals C, what's going on here with the scriptures. God knew the Gentile people were darkness. That's what Ephesians said. Just follow the thought pattern here. And that he could have, listen, he knew the Gentile people were darkness. And listen, that he could have a converted people out of them that would be drafted into the family of God known as the church. Because we are Gentiles. And by birth of water and spirit, we're drafted into the church or the branch of the Jews. Hear me right now. What I believe, now there's a lot of people say, in the whole book of Daniel, Daniel never, never seen the church age. In his visions, everything place, he never seen the church age or the element of the church. I agree. I stand with it. I don't believe that Daniel ever seen the church age. But what I see Daniel was seeing right here, Daniel was talking about something that's not even been revealed to him. The church age. The deep thing God discovered out of darkness, or if you will, the Gentiles, or what God knew to be in the darkness, or if you will, the Gentiles, was the church. The thing that God seen in the darkness, in the Gentiles, was his church. Because the church comes from the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. The church age comes from the Gentiles. So God knows what is in the darkness. It's a, it's a multifaceted statement. Daniel, no doubt, maybe through his understanding, is leaning on the fact that God knew this dream, something that happened in the dark, so on and so forth. But the multifaceted revelation is this, that he said, ye sometimes were darkness, speaking to the Gentiles. I know the deep thing in you. I know the thing out of you. What is that? That's the New Testament church. And he knows all this. God knows all this because he is light himself. The Bible says that light lives with him. 1 John 1, 5 says, In him is no darkness at all. Is everybody doing okay? I know this is not a lot, bunch of application, but it's just mm-hmm, part of it. So Daniel has this, he knows the interpretation, he knows the dream, he knows the interpretation of the dream. No one else could provide that. Daniel didn't provide it himself. God provided it. And so Daniel goes to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who was starting to execute the people, and coming through was going to start all that, came to Daniel and his friends, was going to do that. And Daniel enters then, he says, can I get audience with the king? Yeah. And so Daniel does not say, whenever he meets Arioch, he does not say, hey, why don't you spare me and my three friends over here? And all those other fools can just die. All right? Because they couldn't answer this. They, didn't, they couldn't solve the riddle, so to speak. They couldn't do it. But we, 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 we prayed. We talked to God. All this came about. So why don't you kill all those fools? You know, that'd be a good place to, you know, be promoted real quick. There's no other competition. And he says, why don't we just go on with that? But that's not what he says. Daniel says, do not, do not, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. He had a prime opportunity here to get rid of all the competition, but he didn't do it. He said, quite on the contrary, do not destroy, in verse 24, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. So that included himself and his friends and everybody else that was quite a little bit off kelter. Amen. So in essence, the wise men of Babylon were saved because of Daniel. And this is the story of Scripture again and again. The house of Potiphar was blessed because of Joseph. The Lord would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah if he could have found ten righteous. Uh huh. The presence of Paul and Silas in the prison seemingly was salvation for all the other prisoners whose prison doors opened. 
The prisoners and sailors that were upon the ship in Acts chapter 27 that Paul was upon, whenever the ship went erect and they was going to let him get out to swim, Centurion said, man, we need to kill these people. We need to do away with their life lest they get away. He said, no, 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 no. Because I believe, because Paul would be included in that number, and because of Paul's sake, everybody's going to live. But Paul was in the middle of that situation, and because of Paul, all these other people lived. And so we have this story time and time again. God has somebody godly or somebody prominent in his kingdom among a bunch of heathens, and the heathens are spared for the godly. Bible says in Isaiah 65 and verse 8, it's been probably a couple years ago now, I preached on the blessing of the church. And the scripture says, Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will do I for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. In other words, they're saying there's a vine, it doesn't look too good. Said so we might as well cut that thing down. But they said, Well, there's a few clusters on the vine that are good. And so we're going to save the whole vine for the sake of the good. In essence, folks, the world as we know it thus far has not went under the judgment of God like is going to come because they're still righteous in the earth. When the church is caught away, when the church is raptured, the world is ripe for judgment. And just like the wise men of Babylon were spared for Daniel's sake, the world presently is spared some of their tribulation for the church's sake. Amen. And so the story just continues. <clears throat> so Arioch, he wants some credit for finding Daniel. He said, oh, king, I found a man that can do you good. He's probably thinking, man, if Daniel's going to get, you know, anything out of this, and I can tell them I was the boy that found him, you know, maybe I get me a little, you know, gold nugget here, a little silver, you know, maybe a fatted calf or something. He thought he was in it for something. So he wanted to say that he took credit for finding Daniel. Yet, here is Arioch. He wants credit for finding Daniel, but whenever the, the story is turned toward Daniel, Daniel says, I can't take no credit even myself. He says, all that credit has to go to the Lord. And Arioch makes mention to the king. He says, king, I found a man, amen, that can give you the interpretation. Well, you know, the king's not getting real excited over that. He's had some other people that wanted to give him an interpretation. He asked him in verse 26, he said, can he provide me with the dream and the interpretation? And Daniel goes on and talks about it, and he, affirm, he affirms that none of the king's realm could do that. Amen. Including himself, that that belonged to the God of heaven alone. Amen. And so the interpretation then that follows, that we'll get to two weeks from now, is more or less, again, history to us, but at the time it occurred, it was prophecy to Daniel and the king that was there. Notice in verse 28 that what Daniel relayed, the Bible says, but there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and thy visions of thy head upon thy bed are these he goes on in verse number 29 and says and as for thee o king thy thoughts came to thy mind upon thy bed what should come to pass pass hereafter and he that revealeth secrets make maketh known to thee what shall come to pass so we understand everything that daniel's about ready to tell the king has to do with the latter days 
meaning days beyond the present of that time, has to do with what should come to pass hereafter. So it's meaning something that's beyond the present, that shall come to pass, the very end of verse number 29. It's all something that is going to take place yet in the future concerning Daniel's present. It's our past now, but then it was Daniel's future. And so Daniel did not take credit for this. He just said very plainly, it came from God. And you understand with me, right? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.